0: Welcome to the My Personal Economy Podcast, the place where we get you up to speed with what's going on so you can make sound decisions when it comes to your financial life. Now, let's get started on today's topic. I'm recording here on January thirty-one. It's meant to hit 43 here today in Melbourne, and I certainly hope this is the last of the 40-plus degrees days after the horrible summer of fire we've had. Uh, But I think it's a good place to start, actually. The one thing that really stood out to me was the underlying anger the community holds. I witnessed people venting their anger on social media, people who you've never heard Bo Peep from, especially on serious issues like fires and climate change and what have you. I watched the news as the PM tried to console people and they were not very happy. So I thought about why people are so angry. Um, because the level of anger that's been around the last month is more than just the fires. And my best guess is that it's a part of a larger picture of how people view the world in 2020. Um, sure, the climate change problem is there in the poor management of our environment. Uh, that's a problem too. But I believe there's an overwhelming sense that the future is going to be worse and that uh, has slowly been driving people. I think that overwhelming sense has been built up over a period of time and as with all things, when you push um, negative emotions down, they boil up at certain points when uh, emotions afraid, And I think that's what we've witnessed um, in the last month. I think about the people in regional Australia. They feel forgotten. They're fighting fires that are ripping through their communities. Community is different in the country than what it means to city folk. It's probably a hard thing to communicate unless you've lived in both the city and the country. Uh, Nevertheless, I can only imagine the sense of loss uh, that those people are going through. Not only are there fires, but there's the drought issue too. If you look from the point of view of the farming regions, all they see is a government that only care about people in cities. They don't feel supported. Look at the Murray-Darling train wreck unfolding in front of our eyes. To top it off, they turn on the news, which for a lot of the country is Melbourne and Sydney focused, where they see very little on the drought and the plight of regional communities around the country. Instead, what they see is trivial things like news reporters commenting about the smoke and how it could be hazardous to the people in the city, whilst not really focusing on the deal that hundreds of kilometres away, someone's house might be burning or someone's township might be burning. It's a bit of a slap in the face and I can understand why these guys feel the future will just get worse and I can understand the anger coming from people in the regional areas. And it's just not those guys, it's us people living in big cities too. Families feel like they got told a lie. Getting women into the workforce was meant to increase our productivity, which is meant to give all of us better living standards. Many are feeling like they're just struggling to stay above the poverty line. The reality for many is struggling to make mortgage repayments despite almost zero interest rates. Not only that, it's paying for childcare, it's paying for health insurance, it's paying for all the necessities of life in 2020. Many millennials with skilled jobs have just decided not to try. It's easier to live in the moment than to think about buying a house they can't afford. Look forward to your next holiday or your next car. There's no such thing as delayed gratification We all have the right to be angry or at least discontented about the way we're living in 2020. Our financial markets should reflect the wealth of the people. The problem is the average person clearly isn't feeling very rich right now. So there's a disconnect. And that's what I want to talk about today. How in 2020 are we getting share market highs, gold highs, property market soon to be getting back to highs? There's something that doesn't work here. Not everything can be going up at once. It's not normal. For those who aren't familiar with investments, it seems strange to have share market hires and gold highs at the same time because you buy them for opposite reasons. Buying a share in a company gets you a share of that company's income. However, gold, you don't get any dividends. You don't get any slice of profit because there is none. The reason you buy gold is that it can never be worth zero because people will always want it and it's hard to just create more of it. Shares you buy as an actual investment. So the risk there when you compare it with gold is it could be gone very quick, meaning you buy a share today for $10, that company could be worth zero tomorrow. I always use the example of Bear Stearns, which was one of the biggest banks in the world, AAA investment rated, next minute gone. So that's the difference. Generally when people feel the share market is too risky, what they do is they take the money out of the share market and they put it in the gold market and then the gold market goes up. But it seems to me very strange that both are going up at once in record numbers. So I thought about it and after a bit of thought, I can think of two reasons, both which I've discussed previously, and they are the elimination of cash and corporate tax cuts. With the elimination of cash, the bottom line is actually quite simple when you understand it. Central banks, like our reserve banks, need to keep inflation between two and 3%. So right now we've basically got no inflation and we need to increase our inflation. And the way we've done that in the past is reduce the interest rate down so that more money will get into the economy and people will spend more and then the inflation will rise. The side effects, however, of near zero interest rates is that no one wants to hold on to cash. And this is what is helping push prices of shares up and gold at the same time. We got told a story that corporate tax cuts would trickle down to higher wages and give the economy a kick. Companies were to invest the tax savings into growing their businesses Therefore, employing more. And on the outside, the argument is to point towards the record low unemployment figures. Um, That's easily explained by underemployment, which is the increasing trend for employers to hire part-time rather than full-time workers, which is what we've seen in the last 10, 15 years. Corporate tax cuts have also pushed the share market higher, but it's also helped the rich get richer. And that's the sort of thing I think eats away at everyday people living in first world countries. There is a belief that a strong share market and property market should reflect the wealth of the people. And I think I agree with that. The problem is that averages can lie and there is a small percentage of people doing exceedingly well, while most people are actually closer to treading water or going backwards. And I think that's what's feeding into this building anger. Anyway, we all know the markets are fickle and despite what some people will tell you when the market is hot, it will correct itself. This is why there's a cycle. So today I'm gonna go over a few scenarios as to what I might think happen for 2020. So scenario one is what would traditionally happen. So traditionally when stock markets eventually start heading the other way, central banks hit the panic button and start cutting interest rates. So generally a three to 5% reduction over a year or two would generally soften the blow on the economy and it would eventually stabilize things. Unfortunately, we don't have that cushion. Our interest rates are 0.75%, so that scenario is out. And whilst it's the thing that would normally happen, it can't. Scenario two is the trump card in the economy. You need to recognize the fact that this is an election year and in the land of the free, how do you win an election? You start by spending lots of money. Many have touted that the corporate tax cuts, the China trade war, the pressure on the Federal Reserve, which by the way are meant to be independent, has all been part of the strategy to get Trump to the next election. To me, the story fits apart from one thing, and that thing is to spend money at the levels needed to sway an election, he needs more support politically, and we know how divided America is at the moment. So this leads me to the third scenario, which I think is the most probable thing that's going to happen. I think we will get our stock market tank in 2020. I'm on the record as saying that the property market boom will not come until we see a stock market tank. The reason for this is that when the share market tanks, central banks panic and drop interest rates. Also, governments release a heap of schemes and spending to get money into the economy. All this pushes the housing market. Interestingly, economic cycles leave events as signposts. For example, I think we're in a similar position to the dot-com crisis. The market was already pulling back, but when September 11 happened, it sucked any remaining confidence from the markets. And I just wonder, could we be seeing this with the coronavirus now? Only time will tell on that one. Regardless, I think the share market will tank anyway. I'm not sure if it will be a massive one, because this could be the catalyst to get US politicians on side and open the door for Trump to start spending. Perfect timing to buy a second term of presidency. On top, Australia might see QE for the first time. Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe addressed this in November last year. If the Reserve Bank is putting this on the agenda, you can bet they're giving this some serious thought. As to what that looks like, who knows. If they follow America, Europe or Japan with what they've done in the past, you can bet it will push asset prices higher. Pushing asset prices further allows me to move into the next part of the episode, which is why the property market will boom, uh, which is pretty self-explanatory. Every episode, I'll go over a different factor, which combined with all the other factors, I think will push the next property market boom to dizzying levels. The factor I want to talk about this week is called the Dubai effect. I first heard it explained by demographer Bernard Salt. Basically, when the shit hits the fan in the Middle East, people with money move their money to dubai this is because uncertain times mean increased levels of risk in the middle east for example there can be little transparency at the best of times throw in war economic sanctions and corruption into the mix and you get a lot of risk australia too is a safe place to put your money in the asian zone and this is why bernard salt referred to it as the dubai effect you would naturally think economic hard times would equal declining property prices But when we get the Dubai effect, actually more money comes flooding into the market, which pushes asset prices up. We get the Dubai effect because people pull their money out of emerging markets, which is a massive part of Asia, and dump their money in the safe house that is our country. Post-GFC, money came flooding into Australia. It was a no-brainer because we had higher interest rates for their money. We also have systems where there is little corruption and your money is safe. But They didn't just leave their money in the bank, but they bought stuff, and why wouldn't you? Only a few years ago, there were reports on almost every day about Chinese buying up our residential property market. Luckily for us, the Chinese economy had its own issues, and their government made it a lot harder to move money out of China. Another example of the Dubai effect could possibly have been seen last year with the continuing Hong Kong saga. For those of you who aren't across the issue, I'll quickly explain. Hong Kong is a past colony of England and is due to be given back to China in 2047. The problem is Hong Kong has been living under a Western-style system of living. And last year, the Hong Kong government tried to pass a law that would allow Hong Kong residents to be extradited to China. If you didn't realize, China liked to silence their opposers and an extradition agreement would be a handy thing for the Chinese government. The people are obviously unhappy with this. What a lot of people don't get is that Hong Kong is a large money centre. For many years it was seen as the gateway for money to come from the east to the west, and as such there's a lot of wealth there. As if by sheer coincidence the top end of our real estate market, I'm talking the $1.5 million plus, sorry, a significant spike in the month after this conflict started. I believe that this is one contributing factor to the next property boom, going to dizzying heights. The thing is, we don't know what will happen in the future. Two months ago, who would have known the coronavirus would have been a thing? But what we will know is that there will be uncertainty in the future. And when those times of uncertainty arise money will come into Australia and the Dubai effect will be in effect. That's it for me guys. The next episode I want to touch on why the property market will boom will be the varying array of government schemes that get put in place which further contribute to the market going higher and of course I'll be commenting on anything that's topical about the economy and personal finances. Till next time. thanks for listening to the my personal economy podcast i hope you've got some nuggets of wisdom you can use from today's episode my goal with this podcast is to help people understand their finance a little bit better so if you have any questions i can address please get in contact you can find me by searching will bell mortgage broker on google or facebook thanks for stopping by